Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is heading to Minnesota, and we have got all of the content that you could want from that show. We'll be breaking down some of the fights, as well as talking to Anthony Rocco Martin, who fights Demi and Maya this weekend. That's right, he's fighting Demi and Maya this weekend in a welterweight fight that has got ranking implications. You're going to want to hear what he says. Plus, we're going to go around the league, talk about all of the news in MMA this week. And there is some news in MMA this week. We can talk about Korean Zombies win, Artem Lobov's win, Gagard Masasi's loss, Colby Covington being booked. There's all kinds of good stuff. We'll be getting to all that. Plus, we're going to debut a brand new segment. We're going to be looking back at historic fights with our new fight flashback segment this time we'll be talking about gsp versus carl parisian you're going to want to check out that and all of the content from this week but before you do i need to remind you that this episode is brought to you by adk fightwear go to adkfightwear.com and use promo code turtle t-u-r-t-l-e all lowercase, and you're going to get 20% off some really high-level grappling gear. That's right. You can get grappling gear for 20% off, and it's not expensive to begin with. Listen to this. If you use our promo code at adkfightwear.com, you can get spats as low as 16 bucks. That's right. 16 bucks for spats. Where else are you going to find high-quality spats online for that price? Plus, you can get t-shirts for $7.50. You can get cheap geese, rash guards, sweatshirts, whatever it is you're into, whatever it is you need, ADK Fightwear has got some sharp, high-quality stuff, and you're going to want to check them out. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby, Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Anthony Rocco Martin, who fights Damian Maya this weekend at UFC in Minneapolis. Uh, Anthony, I I know you used to live up in that general area. What's it going to be like uh, returning to there and and getting to fight in the UFC? I'm excited, man. uh, Everyone's excited for me to come back home. I also own a a gym with uh, Tyson Sardier, Brock Larson, out in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. So it's, uh, it's exciting to go back. All the time when you're fighting there at home, you want to leave because you want to go to the big show and you want to leave. But after you're gone for so long, you want to go back. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, that that certainly is exciting. And I know you got your start in MMA there as well. Uh, how exactly did you get your start when it came to uh, to starting up in Minneapolis? So no, it's uh, I got started when I was just I was playing football my whole career, you know. And then uh, I got into some trouble. And then just one of my teammates that I knew was training at a, a gym in St. Cloud, and so he told me to come out there, and I ran into Brock Larson, and, and pretty much ever since then, is uh, 2011 is when I started training. And I dove right in. I was so excited uh, when after my first training session that you know I really just knew like this is kind of what I was meant to do. And so we can we can kind of assume with you having started up there and you having the gym up there that it's going to be a pretty favorable home crowd, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think that there's going to be a lot of people, and then once. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to make sure that, you know, that when I walk out, it says I'm from St. Cloud, Minnesota, you know, fighting out St. Cloud, Minnesota, just so everyone knows for sure that, you know, I'm a Minnesota boy. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be, it's going to be loud once, once they hear, uh, that I'm from Minnesota in there. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the fight itself. Now you're fighting Demi and Maya. 
the the book's out on Demian Maya, right? 13 submission victories. He's one of the best of all time grappling in, in MMA. Submission victories over Shale Sun and Matt Brown, Carlos Condit. You you know the whole deal. I also know that you, you're pretty proud of the way that you're well-rounded. You're a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt yourself. But I imagine, and I just got to ask, are we trying to avoid the ground game in this one? Yeah, like you said, you know, the, the, the blueprint on Damian Maia is laid out there. You know, the, the blueprint on him is laid out where you stuff takedowns and you keep it striking. And um, that's your best best chance at winning. But obviously, you know, I'm already prepared for everything. But, you know, the, the initial game plan is to stop his takedowns, keep it on the feet, uh, where I think I have the, the biggest advantage. And has there been a training partner that you've gone to to prepare for, for Damian Maia type takedowns? Because he does have a very unique takedown game. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because it's more of a, I mean, I almost want to call it like a jiu-jitsu-style wrestling, but he's, he's kind of mastered it, you know, so it's uh, kind of hard to find the specific bodies that are just like him that are going to come in and grapple like him, but obviously I have, we've got a lot of really good self-pod. I've been doing a lot with Gleison Tebow, and uh, obviously I've worked a lot with Colby before, and then we had... Uh, Jacal came up from uh, Orlando to come help me. Um, and then I worked a little bit with Gabe, a lot of Southpaw wrestlers. And then obviously Jacal is more of a grappler. So that kind of mixed in really well for me. Um, but overall, man, I just think that, you know, from what I've seen on film, it's, it's, a, it's a simple game plan, but it's a very hard game plan to execute. So I just got to make sure I'm on my toes and, and at all times uh, on, my, on my A game. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, too. So, obviously, now you said you'd like to keep it standing. He's also a guy who's only been knocked out once in his life. It was Nate Marquardt. It was definitely some time ago. Do you think you have the power in your hands in the game plan here to be the second one to take him out? No, I think that I definitely, uh, if I land my right hand clean, I think that I could really hurt him. Uh, Ryan LaFleur multiple times with my right hand. I feel like I've hurt a lot of people with my right hand. So, all all it takes is is for it to land. It's not... It might not be the hardest shot. It's just got to be the right shot. So my, my game plan is just to, you know, stay at a long range, make them shoot far away, and, and, and then eventually the right, the right hand's going to land. And once it starts landing, I think it's uh, downhill for him. Absolutely. And now this is finally the ranked opponent you've sort of been asking for, for for some time now, right? You've been in the welterweight division for four fights, four victories, and, and it seems like after each and every one of them, it seemed like you were going to get a ranked opponent afterwards. What what does it mean here to be finally getting that ranked opponent in a guy whose whose name's been near the top of the division for years? Yeah, I mean he's only lost to the top three. You know he's he's literally lost to the top three in two five round fights and a three rounder. He hasn't been finished by either one of them. Um, and then he goes out there and, and puts away his last opponent um, very fast. You know, so he's uh, still very dangerous. But no, I mean. I, this is what I've been looking for. You know, this is the, the challenge that I've been looking for is, you know, I, I need to fight ranked guys just so I can see progression in my career. And, and it's just now it's showing like, Hey, you're getting somewhere. You're getting closer to that title shot. You're getting closer to, you know, you're really making a push here. Um, so when you start seeing that you're fighting ranked guys that, you know, you're doing everything the right way. So now it's just my opportunity finally to uh, capitalize on it. And it's uh, something that I've earned. I've earned this uh, chance. And, and, and that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there and capitalize. 
and I know you're you're one who who seems to be pretty calculated after the fight when it comes time for the interview because you've been pushing for these these ranked opponents for some time. Now, obviously, not looking ahead of Demi and Maya, but do you have a plan for who you would like to see down the road uh, should you come out victorious? Yeah, I'll be. I mean, I'm gonna be looking into you know a little bit more of the rankings this week. You know, uh, with a little bit more downtime on fight week, I'm gonna be looking at who are who doesn't have a fight booked is kind of the key. Um, as well, you know, because I was kind of looking at that RDA, and uh, he just got booked with um, uh, what's his nuts? Um, oh, Edwards. the main event with Leon Edwards. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I was actually looking at both of them. I thought both of them would be a good fight because I kind of um, enjoy fighting southpaws. I think it's kind of a good fight for me. So I was kind of looking at that aspect, and um, obviously, I, I tried to pull for that Robbie Lawler fight right away when uh, Woodley pulled out, but. Um, I don't think he has any interest in really fighting me. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to look for just the, the toughest guy. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to get a name to be calling out, though, for sure. So, so you said that Robbie Lawler didn't have any interest in fighting you. Do you think that's, you know, strictly based on name? Do you think he sees that as a bad style choice? What what, what do you think the reason is there? No, I think it's a name. I don't, I don't think uh, Robbie's really looking for style fights. You know, I think <laughs> he's just looking to, for a big fight to get paid. And uh, I, I do think that, you know, he's not, I don't think he really has that true ambition to be champion anymore. I think that he's just looking for, you know, finish out his career with some big fights and uh, build on his resume a little bit and then, and then walk away. So I don't have that name value that's going to really bring in um, something added to, to him and his legacy. Understood, understood. So I, I wanted to ask you too, real quickly before we let you go. So uh, obviously your your girlfriend Kayla Harrison is fighting just a couple weeks after in the Professional Fighters League. What's it sort of like getting ready for your fights o- almost at the same exact time? Yeah, I mean it's a you know it definitely is a little difficult uh, dealing with that aspect and uh, yeah because you don't want to. We have a lot of the same coaches, but we're trying to get our own individual training in, and so. And then we're trying to, you know, now this camp we're trying to kind of create a little bit more space so we're not always together because right now we're just it's all day we're 24 seven together so that part we're trying to find ways to just have a little separation so it's um we're trying to train at different times and whatnot so it's kind of uh, been that aspect has been a little difficult because we have the same coaches so if she's training at a certain time I can't train at the exact same time. But it's it's working out. I think it's going to be good. Where obviously she's motivated and, and I'm motivated, and I think that uh, we're both uh, building to to make a heck of a 2019. Absolutely. And and so uh, I just got to ask too, who's more competitive when you get in the gym, you or her? <laughs> Man, you're talking about like the two ultra competitive people probably in the world. <laughs> I think that there might be. Um, even the coaches, they, you know, people think that what we say is kind of a joke, but you guys have, like, no idea. People don't have any idea how, how really competitive we are. We are. You know, we lose, and it's like we can't even talk to each other even if we play a uh, card game. So um, we're definitely ultra-competitive. But I think if, we, if you wanted to say when we enter the gym who's more competitive is I would say her in the gym because I think I have a little bit – of a less of an ego in the gym. I think that I've just been around the game a little bit longer where I know, Hey, you know, you don't need to win every single scenario. Mm-hmm. So, but in her brain, you know, it's like, no, it's like you, you, you die if you give up this takedown. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm not quite that way in the gym, but out in anything competitive wise, you know, if, I, if I'm going to the gym and we're really competing, you know, I'm trying, I'm willing to die. So we'll, I, I think she's willing to do I think we're pretty, pretty close to even. All right. Well, we hope uh, both of you can get those competitive juices out in the next couple of weeks and pick up big wins. And, and maybe that name value will be next to your name after a win over Demian Maya. Once again, this was Anthony Rocco Martin, who fights Demian Maya at UFC in Minnesota. Thank you so much for the time, Anthony. We really appreciate it. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that interview with Anthony Rocco Martin is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only app for your smartphone that allows you to track your BJJ progress. Listen to how it works. You're going to go to either the Apple Store or Google Play, and you're going to download the Maroon Social app. Once you have it, you set up your profile with your belt level, where it is you train, how much you weigh, and your name. After that, you can do a whole bunch of things, and this is where it starts to get really fun. You can start to log your training sessions, talking about maybe what it is you are training, maybe some notes that you have from it so you don't have to carry around that stinky notebook anymore. And now that you have all of that, you got it saved in one place, and, and Maroon automatically does some calculations for you. It can tell you how much you're training week to week, month to month, and it can make sure that you're making the progress you want. Plus, you can contact friends through there, set up training, all kinds of other stuff, Put your competitions in there. Keep a nice log of those going. Check your weight for an upcoming competition. Maroon Social is the all-inclusive app for the grappling enthusiast. And I highly suggest that if you're in jiu-jitsu as much as I am, that you check it out. Now, back to the show. I am Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined as always by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, what do you think of Anthony Rocco's Martin's plan to avoid the grappling with Demi and Maya? Gumby, I absolutely love when fighters are just honest about what's going on. He doesn't want any part of Maya. It makes a ton of sense. It doesn't make him any less of a fighter. It makes him a very smart fighter. This is something, you know, GSP always said, why fight to your opponent's strengths, fight to his weaknesses. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and and I think, too, having seen uh, people who are his teammate beat Damian Maya with that technique, with, with keeping it standing, you know, like people he's trained with have done that. He's got the blueprint. He's got help with that. Like he knows how, how to go out there and beat Demi and Maya. And I'm excited to see if he can pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a very fun fight. Uh, and one to look forward to, I had actually retweeted, uh, a stat this morning on our Twitter at top turtle MMA. Follow us. If you're not already, uh, just looking at Damian Maya's uh, past, like, 15 fights, the level of competition he has faced, they have not given him, you know, a, a gimme fight at all. And I don't expect this one to be that either for Damian Maya, but, you know, it's a, it's an interesting fight and one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think his, his resume is right up there. And, and he had, I think it was three losses in a row, and, and people were writing him off. Those losses wound up being... Tyrone Woodley, Colby Covington, Kamara Usman. So, like, come on. <laughs> That's great. Uh, all right, let's move on. It's our favorite segment on the show. Well, at least tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's the fastest fight news. We deliver you all the fight news you need to know in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. And honestly, Gumby, I really see no other better place to start. But with this past weekend, the Korean Zombie, He's back, ladies and gentlemen. He's back in a big way after a classic fight in which he lost in the final seconds to a crazy uh, almost 12-6 to upside-down elbow. 
losing A.A. Rodriguez, Korean Zombie comes back, and B. Toynado Makano via TKO in the first round in under a minute. Your thoughts? Yeah, a, cu- a couple of things. First of all, I take issue with the, he's back. I-, I think he was winning that Yair Rodriguez fight until he got stupid and just threw wild punches. Uh, but that being True. said, like he went out there with a guy who's known to be a fucking dangerous striker, right? Hanato Moicano has fought some dudes. I mean, like look at what he did to Calvin Cater, just blasting his front leg. He is an amazing striker, and he went out there, and he outstruck him, outmatched him, put together a perfect combination, two shots before he hit the ground. Man, Korean Zombie, I, I would love to see him against some of those top guys in the division again. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that's exactly what we're going to see. I'm very happy for him. He got a performance of the night bonus. More to come from our favorite Zombie. Uh, here's a little bit of uh, outside UFC news. Fr- well, the UFC will get involved in this. France is going to legalize MMA in 2020. It, of course, had been banned. I think I had always read that the International or the French Judo Federation had done a a really strong lobby effort. Big judo, if you will, kept MMA out of France, but that is no longer the case. France wants in on some of that sweet MMA action, and I imagine the UFC will go there eventually, right? Yeah, I assume they're going there. Uh, It's a big day for somebody like Francis Naganu, who's who's headlining this weekend, but the chance for him to headline a card at home, um, you know, like right next to Ferdinand Lopez, who I know he wasn't working with necessarily for this JDS camp, but you know, like his ability to fight at home would probably be good for him. And in addition to that, it's just like such a big, you know, like there would be such a bigger push behind him if he could get some of the home crowd love too. I'm trying to think of other French fighters too. I I know the Lopolis brothers are out there. Sadly, Tom Duke and moi uh, retired at only like 26 years old, but I'm sure there's some I'm missing out there. Regardless, it's an exciting day for anybody who wants to fight at home uh, out of a country that's produced quite a few UFC fighters. I was going to say, yeah, like I was thinking of uh, Nordine Taleb, and of course he's no longer with the UFC, but uh, the big one would be Czech Congo. But obviously, yeah, I mean, France produces MMA fighters. No reason they can't have a show there. So very happy for France in that regard. Uh, Artem Lobov, the GOAT, beat Pauli <laughs> Malinaji, Connor's foe in bare-knuckle boxing. Uh, it was a judge's decision. Paulie says the judges didn't know what they were looking at, but by all accounts, and I did not watch the fight. I, I just saw the highlights online. Uh, it looked like Artem got the better of him, and uh, hey, super, ha- super happy for Artem Lobov. Yeah, all the accounts I had had Paulie in the second and third, and Artem in the fourth and fifth, and then like the, the first being a toss-up, like a feel him out round. I, I mean, like I'm not super into bare knuckle boxing. I didn't watch it. I watched the highlights like you. But, like, what does it say about where Paulie's career is that he's getting beat in a straight-up boxing match against Artem Lobov? Is it – are we still doubting that Connor put him down? Because I'm not anymore. No, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I, and if anything, I think this does lead to maybe Connor wanting a taste of that Paulie Malinaji boxing fight. Uh, so that's something to potentially keep an eye on as well, just as far as fallout from this goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, so I think so too, but I, I don't think the UFC lets him out because that's not a money fight anymore after Pauly loses to Artem. Yeah, you're no, you're probably right on that. Um, what about Artem? Where does Artem go from here? I mean, I think he keeps bare-knuckle boxing. I mean, like, he he's going to turn into sort of the face of that 
company. He beat Pauly Malignaggi and Jason uh, Knight, which are, are two pretty impressive dudes to beat. Like, one being a good MMA fighter who, who's got some phenomenal boxing, and one being a former world champion boxer. Like, I think he just becomes the face of bare-knuckle boxing, keeps racking up the wins, getting stitches, and uh, paychecks. You know, the one thing I was thinking about this, and I, I think you're right on the advice, the career advice for him, but you look at Lobov, who was such the joke in MMA, in the UFC, but you look at his performances in bare-knuckle boxing, which, you know, the photos uh, after the fights look absolutely brutal of people's faces, obviously. This is a guy, he was never submitted, never finished in the UFC, uh, was in a really nice fight of the night against Cub Swanson, you know, losses to Michael Johnson, Andre Feely, and then you look at what he's done in bare-knuckle boxing. I feel like, you know, the brand of Artem Lobov has really kind of skyrocketed here, just getting out of the UFC, doing bare-knuckle boxing, and now you look back on his UFC career, and you're kind of like, hey, you know what? He's a tough motherfucker. Yeah, and, and he's a guy, too, who I think we forget was almost a tough champion because, I mean, he wound up losing to Ryan Hall in the finals. Ryan Hall had already lost in that tournament. Who knows what would have happened if Artem fought Saul Rogers, who, you know, has got some takedowns in his own right, but it has definitely more of a tendency to throw than, than Ryan Hall does. Who, who knows what could happen? He could be a tough champion, and we could be talking about him that way. Um. Gegard Mousasi lost this past weekend to Rafael Lovato Jr. Kind of a surprising loss, I would say. Uh, Gegard, since leaving the UFC, you know, going to Bellator, wins over Shlomenko, uh, Cavallo, and then Rory. Seemed like he was on fire again, and now the loss uh, to Lovato, albeit via decision, but majority decision at that. What do you make of the performance? Uh, I mean, I think it was a good performance. Uh, I've always kind of been, uh, you know, like, I, I respect Gigard Musasi. I think he's really good, but I, I don't, I, I have never been one of those people out there saying Gigard Musasi is one of the best middleweights in the world, which I think a lot of people say, right? Like, th there are a ton of people out there who are like, Gegard Mousasi is, you know, like the uncrowned champ. He's like this. We need to remember that this is a guy who lost pretty handedly to Jacare. Uh, you know, like he would he be a top top 10, you know, middleweight in the UFC? Probably he would be a top 10 middleweight in the UFC. Would he be top five? I don't think so. So like watching him lose to whatever's Bellator's best. Bellator's best right now is top 10 middleweight level or top 10 lightweight level or whatever their champ is, is usually about that level. So it's not surprising to see Lovato beat him. Lovato's super skilled. And, and, and I think Bellator's got a few more gems than we even realize sometimes. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think kind of overnight because – I, they almost do themselves, and I get why they do it, a disservice with who they, you know, promote as the main events, which is typically like these older heavyweights who are big names. And you have Chael Sonnen out there just kind of sleepwalking through fights and collecting a paycheck. No offense to Chael Sonnen, but he's just not at that level anymore of a, you know, main event fighter. I think we could all admit that, uh, you know, Fedor beating Fedor notwithstanding. But even Fedor is not at that level either, so maybe that shouldn't even count. But what's really happened is the Bellator has built up in some of these divisions some really nice top fives and guys who, you know, that could go to the UFC and be in the top ten, whereas I don't think you could have said that uh, pre-Scott Coker taking over Bellator. I think they had maybe one or two guys 
But now, you know, I think that list is really growing. I think they might have, you know, five to ten guys who could instantly be in the top ten in the UFC divisions. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And especially when you look at those, those like, middle divisions, those divisions that are typically overpopulated in, in every organization, the 155s, the 170s, the 185s, like, you know, Ed Ruth, Neiman Gracie, like – and those are guys not winning the the welterweight tournament, right? The two I just mentioned, they do have slowly built up a pretty damn good stable of fighters. They've been doing a good job of hanging on to guys who seem to win and win excitingly. Like they kind of get a bad rap for like signing the UFC guys, but they really have sort of built talent beneath those guys as well. Yes, agreed. And we'll give them credit where credit is due on that. Uh, speaking of giving credit where credit is due, Dana White is trying to get John Jones's bullshit loss overturned. He was, of course, disqualified for a 12 to 6 elbow on Matt Hamill. He was winning the fight, about to win the fight. Steve Mazzagatti, who we're going to talk about a little later, spoiler, uh, gave Hamill the win. It, I guess it was technically the right call, but still a bullshit call because we all know that 12 to 6 elbow rule is bullshit. John McCarthy has said so himself. Uh, so that all being said, what do you make of Dana White trying to get John Jones's record corrected? I guarantee that's just so he can say some shit in promos about him never being beat. Uh, and it's Mm. weird that he cares that much about it. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second of all, I want to go back to the comments from (laughs) the referee. He looked at Matt Hamill and asked, can you hear me? which to me is just the funniest <laughs> fucking thing that's ever happened in MMA. Uh, and then he got the DQ win. <laughs> right. Matt Hamill being deaf, of course, yeah. <laughs> for those of you who don't know. Um, Colby Covington's going to face Robbie Lawler, except for UFC Newark in August. What do you think of that fight? Uh, I think it is a huge feather in the Ben Askren cap, because I think this means <laughs> if he beats Jorge Masvidal, I think he's jumped the line. I I can't believe I'm saying it. I can't believe it happened, but I think he jumped the line because that fight's happening not this weekend, but the weekend after, first weekend in July. Colby and Lawler aren't fighting until the first week of August. I mean, like, this gives plenty of time for people to get behind Ben Askren if he wins that fight and to set up the fight with Usman while, you know, Colby's already booked. Yeah, I also wondered, do you know, and maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, does Woodley have a fight book? Because wouldn't it also have made sense to just book Woodley Covington? Because it's not like Lawler's really, like, you know, in that I, title picture. I, I, believe, right I believe Woodley was supposed to fight Lawler, and if I'm not mistaken, in the headliner oh, this weekend. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he yes, was, you're right, you're right. It was going to be a rematch, right. Yeah, yeah and, and then uh, I especially remember because they had the really bad poster where it looked like one of them was riding the other one like a bike. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so Woodley's hurt, I believe, not like significantly hurt, not going to be out too, too much time, but out like long enough that like he's sort of out of this picture. They needed one more guy to tango in the, the title picture and Robbie Lawler stepped up. All right. Well, that wraps it up for Fast to Spite News. We'll move now to a new segment we're debuting on the show. It's Fight Flashback. We're going to be looking at GSP's UFC debut against Carol Parisian. And that fight was voted on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We threw out a couple of different debuts. And GSP's debut won. But Gumby, before we debut this new segment, which could fast become our favorite segment on the show, (laughs) or at least in the running for a tie, uh, please tell us if anyone sponsors 
said segment. Yeah, this fight flashback is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to sisuguard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with that mouthguard up in your mouth. If you use your, our promo code TOPTURTLE15, you're going to get 15% off all of those mouthguards. And let me tell you something. If you do jujitsu, this is the mouthguard you want because you no longer have to take it out to take a drink or to talk to your training partners. You can just leave it on in there, take a swig, ask a question, and get back to rolling. So head on over once, I sit, once again to sisuguard.com and pick out the right mouthguard for you. All right, so on our new segment, we're watching a classic fight, uh, and if you want to watch along with us, Gumby and I have our UFC Fight Pass app open, and we have it paused right now, right before the touch of the gloves, right after Steve Mazzagatti has said, bring it on, come on, uh, and we are going to press play. It's at five minutes into the fight off of Fight Pass, so here we go. In three, two, uno, play. And we have a touch of the gloves, and we're off. So, Gumby, this was GSP's first fight in the UFC. He was 5-0 uh, and oh up in Canada, and his first fight in America. But here's a name that he had beat. He beat Pete Spratt uh, at Road Warriors the year before. So he did have a big name on his resume, but obviously the UFC did not necessarily know what they had in GSP. No, they definitely didn't know what they had in him. Although I will say, while, while we can say that they, they didn't know that they had you know the super megastar in the making, Carl Parisian is a guy who came in fairly highly touted as well, right? Like this is a 22-year-old and a 21-year-old squaring off in this fight. So like the fact that they were like, this GSP guy gets Parisian, who, who's got a decent name behind him already. I, I think they knew something was there. And if if nothing else, just being, what was the UFC 43, um, just being that, that early, the thing that he could have had is what he looked like, right? Like super jacked, super muscly, a little bit of tattoos, bald head, right? Like he's got the, he's got the look, right? Like he's got look. the early UFC look and maybe that's what they thought they had. Uh, I love Parisian right off the bat here. He's been working at Kimura for about a minute. Um, and uh, that is one thing, you know, in the early UFCs, you don't see many people going for Kimuras like he did. Uh, and obviously his judo background, they mentioned it on the broadcast a lot. He trained under Judo Gene LaBelle. Uh, the Kimura, obviously, a key submission in Judo when you have your you know, 20 or 30 seconds it is to work on the ground. Uh, it's also funny with Judo Gene LaBelle being his trainer because you know, Joe speaks in glowing terms of Judo Gene LaBelle, who is an icon in grappling and really fighting. And you know, I think Joe might have thought a little higher of Caro than, you know, we would come to find out he was as a fighter. And that's not a knock on Joe. I mean, in these early UFCs, no one really knew what we had in, in anyone. And the sport was still evolving. But that all being said, isn't it funny that Judo Jean LaBelle would, of course, be the trainer of one Ronda Rousey, the most famous uh, female MMA star of all time up to this point? Yeah, and I think he's also... If I'm not mistaken, uh, Manny Gamburian's trainer too, who who wound up having yes. a, a, an amazing run in WEC and a pretty damn good run uh, in the UFC afterwards. But one of the things I'll say too is in there you said that you know Carl Parisian 
you know, like didn't work out quite as much. You're right, he didn't work out quite as much, but you got to remember that he like he like beat some really good dudes, right? Like he has a split decision win over Nick Diaz. He's got a unanimous decision win over Chris Lytle. He beat Matt Sarah. Like th- this is a guy who had a pretty fucking impressive career in his own right. He didn't really pick up the the finishes, but like later on he knocked out Phil Baroni like like he had a pretty decent career yeah absolutely took a decision loss to Diego Sanchez uh actually lost to Diego lost to, uh, to, to Diego Tiago. Sanchez and and I was gonna say lost to Tiago Alves um and then uh beat Jung-Hung Kim but it was a failed post by drug test and that was his last fight in the UFC but even in the UFC, he really went out. Uh, his final five fights were three wins, one loss to Tiago Alves, and a no contest. And, and I think a lot of what I remember the most about his career, too, is like what you're talking about right now, if you're watching along, is those like submission attempts out of nowhere, right? Like he attacks in a way that like not a lot of people were attacking at the time, and nobody really attacks now either. You know, like, you know, a guy shoots for a double leg. He instantly grabs the Kimura and he holds on and tries to use it for sweeps too with leverage. Mm-hmm. He gets GSP up in the air a couple of times, which is funny to think about now too, right? Like if you look at this fight, like GSP is like almost the anti GSP in this fight, right? Like he, he gets in positions where he wants to throw no matter what and almost doesn't care about the position. He gets up in the air, he wants to throw. He gets in a guard, he wants to throw. Like, the pass isn't there. It, it's like, if you watch this fight and you watch him versus Dan Hardy, it's literally the exact opposite fighter. I, you're completely right. So I see, I see it both ways. I think the seeds of what GSP would become were there in the takedowns oh, and the ground and pound. But he, you're right. He never really, you know, tried to pass which also was a little dangerous just being in Caro's guard. You obviously don't want to be there. Yeah, he throws up a good triangle uh, there in the – I think it's early second he throws up a good triangle. And, and of course, the first round just ended with GSP on top. You still had GSP on top. It just wasn't from side control, as mm-hmm. would become so famous. You think of, you know, the knees to the back of Matt Sarah when he turned him over into Turtle. He was way too content to just sit in Caro's guard. And I think that's something he learned. Uh, the first round GSP was nine of 18 on signature strikes. Caro O for four. <laughs> and that's something you see throughout the fight. Caro all told through three rounds was one of seven for strikes landed. Joe has a very funny line here. Uh, they're speaking Armenian and Caro's uh, corner, and they're speaking French in GSP's corner. And he said, what are we at the UN here? Can I get a translator? <laughs> Just a very funny moment from early Joe. Goldie tried to speak French, make a bad joke. God, do I miss Uncle Goldie. And Joe, we go now into the second round. And Gumby, I want to read to you a quote from GSP's book. This is what happened very early on in my career, in my first fight in the UFC against Caro Parisian. The truth is, I wasn't considered much of a contender when I came up as a professional. I was supposed to be the mincemeat for upcoming stars like Parisian. I understood and accepted my role, but that doesn't mean I wasn't going to go for it. So I guess he kind of felt like he had a chip on his shoulder as not being heavily promoted, but, you know, and maybe we already said it, right away, 
they knew what they had after this fight. And then, of course, he gets Jay Heron and he gets uh, a title shot in his third fight. Imagine that. Uh, how many fights is Tony Ferguson on right now? A win streak? <laughs> yeah, well, it was a really different time, too. Like, if you go back and look at, like, the early heavyweight title shots, it was like, you want to fight? Oh, cool. How do you feel about fighting for the title next time out? Right? Like, <laughs> and, and now we've got guys like, like you said, Tony Ferguson. Like, we got... I mean, how many has Dominic Reyes won in a row? Jesus Christ, he's and that's in light heavyweight, which is a thin division as is. Uh, yeah, but it, like completely Hollow, different. Holloway, Holloway was like nine in a row, I believe, or maybe even ten to get to Jose Aldo. Yeah, that's and that's just cra- and he was so patient. That was the fucking craziest thing about Max Holloway. It's like he just didn't even fucking care that he just kept, had to keep fighting. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, it, it's crazy that he got in his third one. But like, when you think about the two guys he beat. At that time, that that time is crazy. And you know, again, back to back to mentioning things that are happening in this fight. Parisian goes for in the second round. He goes for a Kimura again from standing. And GSP rewatching this, it's crazy. GSP actually gets the the Jessica Andrade like slam on Caro. Not mm-hmm. not quite as high impact as as Andrade did on uh on Rose Namajunas but he like drops him with that Kimura grip again underneath the legs and he puts him on his head and then like his top game starts from there in the the second round but like it's interesting that like that move had like earlier origins too so it, it was UFC 46 January 31st 2004 took place in Las Vegas had a very good gate uh 1.3 million 80,000 buy rate, so we were not into those mega buys that you got into in 2005 and then 2006. But 80,000, still a respectable amount of buys for that time. You look at the card, the preliminary card, of course, was headlined by this fight, GSP versus Parisian, as we watched GSP with more ground and pound just cut uh, Parisian open. But then you also had Josh Thompson defeating Hermes Franca and Matt Serra defeating Jeff Curran. So your three prelim winners at UFC 46 were GSP, Josh Thompson, and Matt Serra. That's a pretty impressive group right there. Yeah, that's a really impressive group. And like you said, 80,000 buys back then is a pretty fucking impressive number, too. I mean, like, consider, like, that's Mighty Mouse numbers anyway. Nah. Uh, <laughs> Um, the main card, you had Lee Murray being Jorge Rivera via triangle armbar, uh, Hanato Verissimo beat Carlos Newton, and then you really get into some legendary names. Frank Mir beats Wes Sims with a KO, uh, BJ Penn. Was that the, was that the, the rematch? Naked... Because it was the rematch. Wes Sims after... step on his face? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Uh, BJ Penn beat Matt Hughes with the rear naked choke. That's a classic fight. And then Vitor and Randy had a doctor stoppage with the controversy with the eye. So very disappointing main event, but certainly Frank Mir, BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, Vitor Belfort, Randy Couture, all in their 2004 UFC prime. Some of them gassed to the gills. Uh, that's a pretty good roster of fighters right there. It sounds like a, a 2019 Bellator card. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Uh, so one of the things Joe keeps saying, he, you know, he's very, uh, he gives a lot of credit to Parisian sub skills, uh, as he should. But, you know, we all know now the subs out of full guard don't really happen as much. Most people don't even want to be there just because it'll look bad to the judges. And you open yourself up to ground and pound. Also, 
submission defense has gotten so much better. You know, it's tough to get an MMA guy in a triangle at this stage in the game uh, from guard. But one of the things that Joe kept, you know, saying was how much trouble GSP could be in. And that really just wasn't the case. He, he's pretty content just to stay here and ground and pound from guard as the second round ends. And that, again, goes to that evolution of MMA and how much the game has changed here, you know? How, like, how often do we see a guard battle anymore? Yeah, you don't see it too often, but I will say, to give a little bit of credit to what Joe is saying, too, like, he does seem to put him, not that he puts himself in really bad situations, but, like, the GSP we had come to know was the type of guy who has never once in a bad this bad spot ever right like he was the type right. of guy who if you if you moved three quarters of an inch towards a bad spot for him he made the adjustment and made you pay for it and like here he's almost a little bit reckless like especially towards the end of the second and a little bit towards the end of the third in his stand-up he gets a little bit reckless like most of the time he just lets somebody he lets parisian throw he ducks underneath he hits the double but then he just opens up, and, like, he opens up a little bit standing in the third, too, which is kind of crazy. Uh, so, as the third starts, I want to read to you again from his book, talking about those Kimuras. So, this is what GSP says. In that fight against Parisian, I got caught in his Kimura on two separate occasions. The first time, which was the first round, he had me, but the hold wasn't secure, and I quickly got out of it. The second time was really bad. The commentator was going nuts, too. I could hear him screaming, Kamora! And everybody in my corner, including me, thought I was done for. But very few people understand how I got out of his Kamora the second time. But I knew my own truth, my life situation. I had nothing. I had to win. I just had to. I couldn't accept anything else. If I didn't win, I couldn't live to the end of the month. I had to pay rent, had to buy food. I was ready to die to get out of that hold. Break my arm if you have to, I thought. And I thought that was so interesting because... You flash forward to that Dan Hardy fight when he had Dan Hardy's arm in an even worse Kimura. (laughs) And he pretty much just gets his arm broken. It's just kind of funny that GSP, you know, we think of that Hardy moment. We always talk about it. But GSP was also at one point in a Kimura that almost broke his arm. Yeah, and that's sort of like, it's funny to think about him as that type of guy with that type of mentality. Because I think, you know, like, all the people who, like, especially, like, new new fans of the sport, right? I'm not going to use the word casuals, because if you're listening to this, you're not a casual. You're, you're a pretty serious fan. But if you're a newer fan of the sport, what you saw GSP as, the, the, like, safe GSP, the, like, martial artist GSP, the, like, GSP wouldn't be terribly shocked if, like, he tapped out and then he, like, hugged his opponent and was like, okay, what a, what a great fucking fight, and just, like, moved on with his <laughs> life. And here he is, like, this, like, raw, like, willing to let his arm get broken for the sake of martial arts and for the sake of his life and, like, throw caution to the wind kind of guy. I I think so many people forget that 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 was the early GSP that we got that so many people don't even know existed. I'm going to go back to his book one last time. In my first fights against Caro Parisian, for example... I didn't have a choice. I had to take chances and go all out. I constantly expose myself to danger. That's what it is when you're just starting out. I've obviously changed a lot as a fighter since then. I try to get hit as little as possible. I bring my opponents towards me. I can decide when to attack or counterattack. 
on one of his weaknesses. So this is something we've already been bringing up. It's crazy because I've never you know, read that book and, and hearing that, like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty spot on to exactly how I felt about him in that fight. Right. And it's just so funny, the evolution of a fighter in that way. Uh, we have about two minutes left. GSP just got out of the uh, crazy Kimura attempt. The the mat has a uh, ad from Nitro.tv. Do you have any idea what that was? <laughs> no, I can't remember that. No, I don't. I'm only <laughs> upset that it's not uh, Cornance, Condom Depot, or Dynamic Fastener. Dynamic Fastener was always a favorite. I have no, I have no uh, fucking idea what a Dynamic Fastener is, but I love it. <laughs> Uh, the judges gave it to GSP, unanimous decision, uh, 30-27, 30-27 from Rosales and Trowbridge. I'm sure you know those names if you've been watching Fighting a long time. Nelson Hamilton uh, gave it to GSP, but 29-28. Uh, the scorecards don't go back that far enough to know which round he might have given Parisian, but I assume it might have been the third just because of how deep a submission attempt he had on that Kimura, but it was clear that GSP, to me, at least won the third, uh, despite that submission attempt. Obviously, outstruck him. Parisian didn't land one punch. Uh, he just had the Kimura attempt. You know, it's interesting that you said that you think it was the third, because I, I thought about this, too, when I was re-watching. I actually thought it was the first, because of the, but, amount, okay, yeah. the amount of submission attempts. Maybe, like, they weren't all successful or weren't quite as close as the third, but just like on pure volume of submission attempts and like GSP landed like a few less strikes in the first. So I like feel like if you were trying to squeeze out a round for Parisian in there somewhere, I might give him that one. So after this loss, Parisian reels off five wins in a row, uh, beat Shoney Carter, beat Nick Diaz, Chris Lytle, Matt Sarah, Nick Thompson, uh, so he went 5-0 and after this until running into Diego Sanchez, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, and, and like I said before, like, those names are no joke. I, I really think he was, like, a top-level guy that, like, maybe just was missing, like, one piece here or there. And maybe just at, like, the wrong time, like, or, or had the wrong trainer. Or, like, you know, like, who knows what he could have been uh, had that, like, you know, suspension not coming down when it was, when it did. I love, as this fight ends, GSP does his backflip, almost injures himself, uh, didn't really stick the landing. Uh, you see Manville Burian come in uh, to the octagon, and he has a football jersey with his name on the back. <laughs> yeah, Manuel. Oh, and, Manuel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Manuel, his first name, not his last name, but it is a football jersey, and I really love that. You see Stitch tending to a pretty deep cut. I think that was from a classic GSP elbow. Uh, but it's clear GSP won this fight, and he, of course, went on to have a legendary career. And that, of course, wraps up our first ever Fight Flashback. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed bringing this to you. Hit us up on our Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Let us know what other classic fights in history you might want to rewatch with us. Uh, and we will, of course, have polls going forward uh, as well. Gumby, let's move on. We have a UFC this weekend. It happens to be a pretty big one with some pretty nice fights on it. So I would like to get a UFC Minneapolis breakdown, but I'm just wondering, does any company sponsor said breakdown? And this UFC Minneapolis breakdown is brought to you by Sheath 
underwear. That's right, Sheath Underwear. Head to sheathunderwear.com. Use promo code FLOW, F-L-O, for 20% off your whole underwear order. And they're changing the underwear game because it's somewhere in between a boxer, somewhere in between a brief, and not quite a boxer brief because it is unique in its front pouch technology that allows your cash and prizes to be separate from everything else, promoting airflow while giving you the support you need while you're grappling or doing any physical activity. So check out sheathunderwear.com. So for the three fights here, we're going to start by talking about Francis Naganu and Junior Dos Santos. I got Naganu here. I'm not loving his odds though at negative 240. Those are pretty high for what's essentially just going to be a boxing match. JDS betting off at plus 210, which is almost tempting as an underdog here, but I do like Naganu's chances to get the job done. I think he hits harder. Um, uh, I think, you know, the, the chance that he just stuns JDS early is uh, pretty high. I am going to go with the underdog in the co-main event, though. Anthony Rocco Martin over Demian Maya. We talked with Martin early on the show. He's a plus 150 underdog, which is pretty close. Uh, maybe a little closer than I would have even expected to be, but I like his chance to keep the range. He's been doing a really good job of fending off takedowns since getting to welterweight, and I think if he does that here, he's a clear-cut winner. Uh, I'm also going to take an underdog in the third fight, which is Juicy A. Formiga at a plus 155 underdog against Joseph Benavidez. I, I think Benavidez's last couple wins are being weighed really heavily, and people forget that he got outpointed by Sergio Pettis. I think Formiga poses a lot of problems for him in the grappling department and can at least stall him out and probably outpoint him as well. So once again, I'm taking Francis Naganu over Junior Dos Santos, Anthony Rocco Martin over Demian Maya, and Juicy A Formiga over Joseph Benavidez. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in. We would not have a show without you. We also wouldn't have a show without our sponsor, Sheath Underwear, CCU Mouthguards, ADK Fightwear, and Maroon Social. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app. We want to thank Flow Combat for hosting us each and every week and want to remind you guys to check out our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. You can check out all kinds of fun games, prizes, and all kinds of other tidbits on there. You're going to want to make sure that you are following along. I am Daniel Gumby Freeman. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte and we will see you next week.